The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 342 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from practice. Our topic today is autonomy for the aged. In January 2014, media reports revealed how the older part of a facility for the aged in a village in Quebec, Canada, was ravaged by fire, reportedly killing 32 of its 52 residents. It seems that there was no requirement for what was to be the fire-ravaged part of the facility to have automatic sprinkler systems for fire protection. Journalist Christy Blatchford reported that 37, 37 of the 52 residents were over the age of 85. Many were in wheelchairs or using walkers. At least two were blind. Some had Alzheimer's disease, and many would have been hard of hearing, arthritic, or slow-moving. Christy Blatchford, the journalist, added her opinion that, and these are more or less her words directly, somehow, in the mess of standards and codes and certifications unevenly in force across Canada, enough of the residents were nonetheless deemed to be sufficiently independent, autonomous, as Quebec calls it, those are, that's Christie's words, that the facility wasn't required to have automatic sprinklers, all of which is one of several various reasons why our topic, autonomy for the aged, is so important. Now, to discuss it, our guest is Krista James. Krista is the National Director of the Canadian Centre for Elder, Elder Law, and a staff lawyer with the British Columbia Law Institute. Her work involves policy analysis, legal research, law reform, public legal education, and providing advice to government on legal issues impacting older people and family caregivers. She works with diverse stakeholders from healthcare, law, labor, finance, and justice. She's written and spoken on various topics such as abuse and neglect of older people, financial elder abuse, financial literacy, adult guardianship, mental capacity, and family caregiving. She was the lead author of the Canadian Centre for Elder Law study paper, Care Slash Work, Law Reform to Support Family Caregivers to Balance Paid Work and Unpaid Caregiving. 
She develops educational materials on issues of concern to older people and the practitioners and volunteers who work with older people. Welcome to the show, Krista. Hello. Thank you for having me. Great. Krista, first question for you. Please tell us more about the work of the Canadian Centre for Elder Law. Thank you. Well, that's a pretty broad introduction of our work, quite comprehensive, actually. We are, you know, we're Canadian. We're a nonprofit. We're a national nonpartisan organization that explores law and policy issues impacting older people. So I think you've covered sort of the kind of work that we do, but this, maybe I'll expand in terms of some of the topics. So a lot of our research lately has been focused on older women and consulting with older women to find out what they say are the pressing law and policy issues that are impacting their lives and where our law reform is needed. We've also developed quite a few tools focused on uh, on different kinds of elder abuse and how different sectors of practitioners can, can, can impact their practice differently. To, um, to support older adults more robustly in their work. Right. Now then, let's go to the, the theme word for this episode. Krista, please summarize for us what autonomy means as it relates to elderly people. Krista? Well, to me, autonomy is the ability to direct your own life, to make your own decisions. It's basically the, the opposite of being controlled by other people. Autonomy means leading a meaningful life that's informed and directed by what you value, you know, by what makes you tick. And this is important to us at any age. And it's a, it's a highly significant issue as we age because of legitimate fears about loss of autonomy. But ultimately, autonomy is sort of a foundational aspect of how we live in a part of full citizenship, really. Now, Krista, I want you to summarize for us the Canadian Centre for Elder Law's perspective on autonomy for elderly people. In other words, what kind of policies do you have? How do you interpret or ask people to interpret those policies and where do they apply? Krista? Right. So, you know, autonomy issues are involved in a lot of our research. We don't really have our own policies internally, what we do is look at other policies, practice, and legislation and ask questions about how they respond to the, the rights of elders. So in a, from a legal context, we, we know that seniors have very valid reasons to fear a loss of autonomy, and that could be as a result of well-meaning sort of protectionism by legislation or people, and it can be that abusive, ill-intentioned people are trying to harm seniors and take away their autonomy. So it can, autonomy comes up in legal contexts in sort of both kinds of situations. And the law really, most laws try to balance concerns for protection and autonomy, which are both sort of sometimes viewed as being the opposite ends, but are both very important values in a sense. We need to make sure, you know, when we look at legislation, we need to make sure that legislation is not so overly protective that it's actually depriving people of joy, meaning, and significance in terms of their lives. An overly controlling legislative or legal response to vulnerability is potentially damaging quality of life and dignity. And life is just, ultimately, life is just not about being safe. 
Now, let me just go a step further. I'm no lawyer, and I'm going to ask you what a legal term means in the context of autonomy. What does capacity mean when lawyers use it? Right. Capacity refers, generally we're talking about mental capacity, not usually physical capacity. Capacity refers to the ability to make decisions. And so from a legal perspective, when we talk about whether a person has mental capacity, we're talking about whether they have the legal right to make their own decisions in certain areas. And if a person is viewed as not having enough cognitive abilities, they may legally lose some of their rights to make their own decisions. And so a substitute decision maker gets put in place. Is it right then to say that capacity, as you've just defined it, actually relates to the concept of autonomy? It's, it's capacity is the comes from the world of law and lawyers. Uh, Autonomy comes from the social sciences. But the two things, are they related? And if so, how closely? Krista? Absolutely. Um, You know, when you first, you know, emailed me and said you wanted to talk about autonomy, to me, you cannot, from a legal context, I I can't talk about autonomy without talking about capacity because they are both concepts that are about your ability to make decisions about your own life. And if you lose capacity, you can lose autonomy. And we can legally think about how we respond to reduced cognitive abilities, i.e. taking capacity away, in a manner that maintains as much autonomy as possible for the older person we're concerned about. Is that a kind of trade-off, would you say? Um, Autonomy isn't just about capacity, so people can lose autonomy um, in other ways, not just... They aren't sort of inextricably linked in that sense, but... um, there is, always, there is certainly a trade-off in terms of the relationship between our desires to protect people from harm and to respect their autonomy. That's where I see the primary trade-off operating. Right. Now, in the sense that capacity is – I'm going to be a bit provocative in this, and we've only got a short time for you to refute me – but capacity <laughs> is, is law, is legal. It's the law – It's the law processes. But it seems to me that autonomy is coming from a much broader background. That is the social sciences. That is the sense of what that you've been talking about, what's right and proper in the way of independence for elderly people. So in that way, um, (laughs) is it right to say that sometimes uh, the question, the legal question of capacity and the interpretation of what protection people actually need Um, what degree of autonomy is right for them, can, hard question, get in each other's way? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. If you you, you impose a guardian who has the ability to make all decisions about an individual's life on them because they have lost capacity, absolutely, there can be a tremendous impact on autonomy. But I also think that and a substitute decision maker or can 
and, and caregivers as well, and this is where I think we can have an interesting conversation, can practice and, and, and behave and exercise their powers and responsibilities in ways that respect the autonomy of a, an older person as much as possible. Because even when you lose the, um, mental capacity, you still have the ability to express views and talk about what makes life meaningful to you. Right. Now, um, we've come to the end of this um, particular segment at a very key point, and we're going to carry on with this discussion because we're probing things that really, this sounds, sounds a silly thing to say, but really are fundamentally important because they come down to the respect that we should have for people, elderly people, but at the same time, the respect does require us to understand what the risks and dangers may be to elderly people, like, if I can be harsh, being burned to death. So, we'll take the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley. My guest is Krista James. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join Gary Ray with his co-host Linda Crater as they show what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, Back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Krista James. Our topic is autonomy for the aged. Now, I want to talk about the benefits of autonomy for the elderly, 
We've already said a lot about that, but I also want to talk about the risks that may be associated with it. So let me ask you um, to say, in your view, what do you see as the greatest benefits brought to the elderly by respect for their autonomy? Krista? Well, at the risk of being a little repetitive, I think that the greatest benefit is that we are supporting seniors to live meaningful lives that are focused on the things that are important to them. And we are not hijacking their ability to um, self-direct their existence. Um, on some on a fundamental level, respecting autonomy is about, it's about happiness. It's, are we doing what we do? Are we doing what we love and, and keep seeing the people we love as we age? These things don't become less important to us as we age. In fact, they often become more important. And we're talking about longevity. We know that seniors live a longer time when they are living meaningful lives. Um, and on a societal level, I think it's useful to take a step back, too. And I think this connects to earlier stuff you've been saying um, about, about how we value seniors, is that on a societal level, seniors have a significant amount to contribute to our communities. And if we, we need to raise their voices, in a sense, rather than silencing their voices. And if we undermine their autonomy, we undermine their ability to contribute to our communities, to be a part of our communities. You know, we hear over and over and over again from seniors that they feel invisible. Right. Respect is a word I would read back to you. Respect for the elderly seniors flows from, Krista, what you've just been saying, I, I think. Now, Krista, it's the opposite question. What do you see as the greatest risks of harm that arise for the elderly when respect for their autonomy outweighs their needs for protection. Krista? Well, at the, at, the, at the greatest extreme, I guess we find abuse, abandonment, we find isolation, you know, and we know based on literature that isolation, you know, completes the circle and further increases the risk that a senior might be abused or that some, no one will find out about the abuse so it won't stop. So there, I think that there's a risk of autonomy kind of sliding into abandonment or ignoring seniors, but it isn't the same thing. But I think there's a little bit of a kind of slippery slope that happens when um, people are given the impression that they can't um, have more control over a, a senior in their lives, that they have to just leave and you know, not be a part of that senior's life. They're not the same thing, but they do kind of, kind of come up. Um, I think in terms of risk, I'd also think it's worth saying that, you know, my perspective in a, you know, we do live in a somewhat risk-adverse culture these days. And risk is, a, is like a part of life at all of our ages. Uh, do we, you know, do we really want to live a completely risk-free life? You know, we let our kids climb trees, hopefully, although... You know, they, we know they might fall down. You know, personally, my strata has been posing rules around my daughter climbing trees because of risk that she will hurt herself if she climbs trees. And that kind of way of moving in the world is terrifying to me, more so than the possibility of being hurt, but the possibility that people can't just live in a way where they can take can't take chances once in a while. But, you know, 
we do have an obligation, I think, ethically and socially to, to help keep people in our communities safe, people in our families safe. Um, and we can't do that if we have it, possibly if we concern ourselves only with the value of autonomy. Right. Now, that leads very neatly, Krista, into my next question, which flows from the incident in Quebec that I introduced this episode with. Um, I want to ask you this. What do you think needs to be done to establish uniform standards widely across Canada for fire protection of the elderly living in retirement homes and long-term care facilities? How do we establish uniform standards? Krista? Well, I might ask this, this question and, and answer it in kind of two ways if we have enough time. Um, yes. But first, uh, from a process perspective, you know, I I work for an agency that's focused often on law reform, which are, pro, you know, modernizing legislation so that it's more responsive to the current challenges that come up in life. And so, you know, legislation that governs retirement homes and long-term care, long-term care facilities is not it's not national, right? It's provincial and sometimes municipal in terms of fire codes. And, and, but still having national standards, that's really important. Um, but pro- the right processes need to, to be gone through in order to make those kind of changes. And the broader you're looking in terms of how many jurisdictions or provinces or territories are involved, the more complex and time-consuming the process becomes and the right people have to be at the table. So in, to answer the question of what, we think, what I think needs to be done, I think we need to have a really robust process that gets people from all the jurisdictions at the table to talk about this. And we need law reform representatives from across the country. We need people in government from across the country because people in government turn those ideas that people like me come up with into laws. And if there's no buy-in, it's not going to happen. But it's very, it is very challenging to come up with national standards, especially, you know, we know that Quebec always needs to go through its own process. And a lot of the jurisdictions feel that way. They have to go through their own process, their own consultation to get to an answer, but the risk of being too technical, those processes are important and you have to get the right people at the table. And that's not just government too. The work is informed by research and social scientists and architects. It's, you know, a lot of the, the legal topics that deal with aging are really interdisciplinary and we need lots of different kinds of knowledge to come up with standards that we can recommend be incorporated into legislation across the country. Now, this is a debating point coming back to you. The question of whether sprinklers are installed in uh, a retirement facility for aged seniors has um, really is not something that the seniors themselves will are likely to be consulted about. And therefore, any question of their decision making is irrelevant. Now, I hope it's clear that what I'm saying is that um, when I move, when we moved into the condo we lived in, we live in now, we are not, we weren't consulted on the standards, the building codes and all the rest of it, because we assumed that they would be safe and good. It seems to me that there's a need for perhaps a bit more discussion 
And I'm going to give you one example, and that is firefighters. There's far, there are firefighters all over the our nation. They do a splendid job. Um, generally, they work to uniform standards. Not talking about what they wear. I'm talking to talking to the point that the pipes fit pipes. Um, the actual um, fire engines, as we British would call them, are built to do certain things in such a way that they work consistently and all that kind of thing. So I'm lecturing you by saying I think Canada, Canada through its professions like firefighting, is able to get to something like uniform standards, which in the fullness of time will be accepted and adopted through the political processes you're talking about. Now, that's very prov provocative and very long-winded, but what, what, what's your reaction to what I've just said? Well, it's certainly possible. And I, I think that, you know, sometimes what we're dealing with is the fact that you know, different, all the municipalities have across the country have their own building codes that have been developed over the years, and some are more modern than others. And um, they're, you know, I know... I live in Vancouver, and recently there have been changes to the building code, and there's been a move toward trying to universalize building, building codes in the province, so there's more consistency, especially around you know, universal design and planning for housing being occupied by older people. Um, so there, it is possible, and I think that, you know, when you have a... Honestly, on a personal level, it's shocking to me to hear about a large facility not having sprinkler systems, no matter who's living in there. If it's a, if it's a, whether it's um, a school or a, a retirement home or whatever, there's a large facility and it doesn't have some kind of safety code with address, address that's really it's problematic. But it, often what we see is where there's more risk is where um, seniors are living in smaller establishments that might not be um, that that um, have developed over time and they've emerged out of modified buildings, not buildings that were created specifically for housing seniors. And it, the process of making sure that those smaller facilities, where there's maybe only five seniors, are kept safe, is maybe going to be more complex than dealing with the larger facilities. The, the, tra the tragedy in Quebec is not the first time I've heard of this. I've heard of this happening in Ontario, at the very least, quite recently as well. It's a, it is a huge problem making sure that um, retirement facilities are are safe. And there's the autonomy. There's a, the sprinkler systems is the one issue, but there's the other piece that we saw in the Ontario case, I believe, is where people who have some vulnerability are going to have a harder time getting out of that building, whether there are sprinklers or not. Yeah. And that's often a staffing issue. Yes, absolutely. So in other words, there's a broad question of safety that lies behind the, this particular question of, let's call them uniform standards. And sadly, it sometimes takes a serious accident or catastrophe to waken us all up to the point that we better start looking at what went wrong and what needs to be done to prevent it all happening again. In other words, I know I'm lecturing. Learning by experience um, has a valuable role to play in all of this. Now, we've come to the end of this particular segment, so we'll take the break, and then we're coming back. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley. My guest is Krista James. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and 
empowerment channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about this show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. Ooh, John. Are you happy with just accepting and passing along what the media, politicians, and government are feeding you? Or are you positively sick of it? It's time to get the real facts and form your own decisions. It's time to awaken the sleeper within you. Each week, host Dr. Nick Castellano will uncover various viewpoints and topics designed to inform and present the truth. Today's masses are manipulated by media coverage, and we will not become sheeple. Tune in to Awaken the Sleeper, Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace to speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Krista James. Our topic is Autonomy for the Aged. Now, Krista, I want to talk about guidance in a broad sense that you would like to see widely adopted for autonomy and protection of the elderly in various circumstances. So let me put questions to you about particular circumstances. What guidance would you like to see widely adopted for protection of the elderly against elder abuse, such as financial fraud, while respecting their autonomy? Kristen? Well, it's interesting the way you frame the question that you start with, what guidance would you like to see widely adopted? Because I think that the first thing I would say is that there is a lack of guidance for people. And where I see there's a real need for guidance is around education of people who are substitute decision makers, attorneys, representatives, some of you who are caregivers are going to be in this position where you are making financial decisions for someone else or, or making, doing transactions for them. 
um, there, I think there's just a lack of information and training for people who are in this situation. You know, often people who become a, uh, an attorney under a power of attorney, they, they get this job because they're the, the oldest son or the oldest daughter, and they get it because of being related to the senior. And, but this is actually a really difficult job. There's a lot of responsibilities, and there a lot of legislative responsibilities. And you, know, there's no, you usually don't get a handbook for how to do this. So the first thing that I think that is really important is for there to be really clear information and plain language information for people who get these important jobs. Usually they're volunteer jobs. You know, they may be thankless, but they're really important. We, we recently did this one project on um, elder abuse with uh, Chinese seniors in Richmond. And if you look at our website, we actually have a few plain language tools on um, powers of attorney. The second area I think is really important is around advocacy for seniors, is that we don't have a lot, there's a huge access to justice problem across our country. Um, we have maybe two elder law clinics, maybe there's a small one in, in, in Kingston now, but Vancouver and, and BC, Vancouver, BC and Toronto, Ontario, we have legal clinics for seniors, but those are the only cities in the country. Um, and there's, there's, it's hard for people to get easy access to free assistance when something bad has happened. I think that the access to justice problem is just really huge around inability to get legal aid for these kind of problems. And then finally, um, plain language tools for seniors. You know, I think that there's been a lot of talk around elder abuse and financial fraud targeting seniors lately. And it's been, in my opinion, a lot of it's fairly fear-mongering. And that doesn't help our elders to tell them just all the things they need to be afraid of, all the people who are going to take advantage of them. What we need is to give people really clear, straightforward tips on how they can keep themselves safe in a way that's really manageable, not a, you know, a Bible, but two pieces of paper with some basic information they can put on their fridge. Um, so that's something we've been working on as well. And I'm really happy with our Be Savvy Senior tools that are available for free from our website. They include a calendar, really basic stuff about how to keep yourself safe. Excellent. Now, still on the theme of guidance, what guidance would you like to see widely adopted for personal service workers and professional staff when an elderly person, say with Alzheimer's disease, insists on making a decision which could be harmful, such as walking out of the residence? What's the guidance that you see there that would be necessary or useful? Krista? Well, I think the first thing that I would say is to back up a bit from that question and say, you know, at the front lines, although institutions are understaffed, I think that people at the front lines, their work needs to be informed by standards and best practice from determined by the regulatory bodies, if they're nurses or doctors or you know, determined by um, research bodies, if it's, you know, le- um, licensed practical nurses or care aides who are not regulated professionals, people need guidance. And it's, it scares me to see frontline people with very little training just muddling on their own at the front lines. You know, they need a lot of support. And that includes not just that the, the institutions need to develop well-informed policies, but people at the front lines need a go-to person when they're not sure what to do. But to take the step forward then, because you've asked the question, I think, from more from the level of 
what could a professional staff person do if someone is wanting to do something they see as risky? Um, I think it's important to think about how can you honor, and getting back to autonomy, how can you honor the choice of this elder while still providing the kind of safeguards that are going to maybe enhance your comfort or protect the institution. So what, you know, in a pers- on, a, on a specific level, if the question is someone with Alzheimer's going for a walk, and this is, it's a good question because to me, I think, what would a life be like if you could never take walks again, right, in terms yes. of reflecting on yes. autonomy? Staffing, you know, it's it, it costs a lot of money to run these institutions, but staffing can provide the solution. You know, maybe the person would be comfortable going for a walk if they were accompanied by someone they felt comfortable around or who was there but close by. That's a way to honor the choice while keeping the person safe. Technology provides some solutions. We do have monitoring bracelets that a lot of institutions are using. It's becoming more standardized. They, you know, they have a tracking system. So you feel like you're on your own, but actually there's a way to find you if you don't come back. You know, and there are design things you can explore in terms of the, you know, if you design an institution surrounded by beautiful green space where seniors can walk and hang out with family or take their pets out, then you provide a structure that has more ability to honor this kind of, that kind of particular, you know, personal decision. Right. Now, I'm still on the guidance theme. And this time, I want to ask you about the guidance you'd like to see adopted widely for assessing the decision-making, I'll use the word capacity, even though it's the lawyer's word, or let's substitute it for with ability, that assessing the ability of individuals to make decisions when the individuals are elderly people. What guidance do you think is needed for the people who do the assessments? Krista? Sure. And first, before, before I jump into it, I probably, I think I might want to just problematize the word assessment, because I think when we hear the word assessment, it sounds like somebody with a clipboard is coming in, they're in a white coat, and their job (laughs) is assessment, so they're going to come in and do that. But I think the reality in terms of practice is that we all do assessments all the time if we work with other people, and especially if we're in a a service profession, um, we are already doing assessments. Um, and we do this regardless of age. You know, if, um, I'm a lawyer, and if I was, you know, working in private practice, if a client walked into the office, regardless of how old they are or how upset they are, I need to do a quick assessment. Does this person have the mental ability to give me instructions? You know, I can't take instructions from them if they can't. I can't let them sign a contract if I don't think they have the mental capacity to understand it. You know, a nurse at the front lines is giving someone information on their health condition and asking them, what do they want to do? Do they want to take this medicine or not? Like, they are in their heads, they're doing a quick assessment of capacity when they listen and talk to that patient. So I think we need to take a step back and recognize that we all do assessments all the time. And it's it's not just about age. Like, we need to have a, an, an awareness when there could be a different kind of condition that might undermine capacity. That can be associated with a mental disability, regardless of age, or it could be associated with aging. But capacity assessments are kind of happening all the time. I think it's important from a to 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 do that as well, because then you you it helps take away some of that stigma associated with thinking through capacity. If you recognize in your head you're not doing this because this person is older, we all need to be 
kind of untraining our brains to be ageist all the time and to be valuing seniors. But on a personal level, I think that this is a huge issue when anybody is raising an issue of does somebody not have capacity to um, make decisions about their lives. This is one of the omnipresent threats that people live with as they age, and it's, it's terrifying and stressful, and we need to, on a personal level, it's the kind of, the kind of interaction that requires a lot of compassion and understanding, and you don't just show up with the clipboard. There's, there's steps that have to happen before that. You know, organizations need policies to deal with this to support practice so people aren't just muddling along on their own as well. Right. Just on the same question, um, these assessments have different contexts and different purposes. That is to say, deciding whether somebody should spend their heritage, their whole family's financial heritage, is one thing. Deciding whether they take their medications is another thing, and deciding whether they're going to get out of bed for breakfast is another thing still. What I'm putting to you is that the assessment has to be in the context of what the decision is actually about and what the implications of making it in any direction are and how severe or serious are any of the um, risks that arise. Um, Do you accept that concept of context? Krista? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, capacity is not a black and white concept. You know, people, we often talk about capacity being on a continuum. So you might have capacity for some things and not for others. And the, the, the inquiry that you go through to figure out whether that person has capacity for that, that particular transaction or decision needs to really be tailored and, and focused on that kind of decision. There's not one tool for assessing capacity across decision and across practitioner. The other thing that we also talk about when we talk about a capacity continuing is, is that capacity is a really fluctuating concept. So people can have good days and bad days, good times a day, good bad times a day. And an awareness of that can really support us in thinking through how we think about a particular person's capacity. We do have, um, we, we published a paper a couple of years ago um, called, um, we did this work for the Adults Abuse and Neglect Prevention Collaborative for BC on um, a uh, provincial strategy document for um, mental health, for aging and capacity in BC. And that document can be downloaded from our website for free. It has a couple pages that talk about precisely this concept of, of tools for assessing capacity and how we think about them. Right. Very good. Those tools and those assessments and those documentations um, are fundamental to getting the understanding out there on the part of people who need to know that these are complex, changing matters. Now, how's that for a sermon? But it's really very, very clear that what you've just said is profoundly important. Now, it's time again for the break, so we'll take it now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Krista James. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We will be back. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. 
Tune in to Our Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want to help make our world a better place, but not sure where to start? Tune into Better Worldians Radio with the creators of the social game on Facebook called A Better World. Join hosts Ray, Mary Sue, and Gregory Hansel, who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways. They'll speak to experts, authors, volunteers, and everyday people who are changing the world daily. Better Worldians Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. What can you find on Get Real Radio? Well, quite honestly, who you really are. Join host James Robinson each week for a program designed to reveal more about yourself and your world through words of wisdom and profound guests. You'll discover more about the spiritual movement and how it can work with you and alert you to problems you may not be aware of. It will educate, titillate, and enlighten your mind. Get Real Radio is broadcast live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. This could end up being the best time of your week. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Krista James. Our topic is autonomy for the aged. Now, Krista, let's talk about what more you would like to see, like to do and to see done to enhance respect for the autonomy of elderly people while also ensuring protection for them and others who may be put at risk by elderly people's decisions. So, first question, what more would you like to do to enhance respect for autonomy? Krista? Well, I think on a, on a, on a level of how we talk about these issues, this kind of conversation we're having where we're sort of, I would say, problematizing or talking about risk it's a really important conversation to have because there's not always a, a clear answer, but we need to really be aware of about what we're doing when we try to take someone's personal decision-making away and what risk means um, and how, you know, to, to get away from just this, this, protect, this constant protectionist mindset. I think it's, it's important to be, for everyone, for all of us, to be mindful of age discrimination and ageism and how this, how this impacts on our thinking about some of these problems. To remember that these, the, these fundamental values, the autonomy, these are sort of universals and every person has rights regardless of their age. You don't kind of age out of these rights um, and I think as underlying everything is this so much of so many of the problematic things I see happening are un, are kind of leveled on top of a kind of not lack of respect for our elders. It's something that 
I notice in my com- in new community and families all the time that there is this this pattern of not valuing people as much as we get older. And what does that mean for us socially? And it impacts all these kinds of situations where people's autonomy is taken away. I every opportunity I can, I would you know think about how we can value the seniors in our lives, and because older people feel invisible. Yeah. Um, now, I'd like to ask you the same question, but it's in relation to others. What, what more would you like to see done and by whom would you like to see it done to respect the autonomy of elderly people while ensuring the protection for them and for others who may be put at risk by elderly people's decisions? Krista? Well, I think that one of the things to do is to educate ourselves. I think we all have different roles where we are, we have responsibilities for caring other people and we inherit those jobs kind of just because of who we are in a family. But sometimes there's a certain amount of personal initiative needed there in terms of educating yourself about what you need to learn to do to do that, that family job properly. And I think it's useful to focus more on what you need to know rather than on what you need to stop your dad from doing. You know, focus on yourself and your responsibilities rather than trying to make decisions for for somebody else. Does that imply understanding what what I'm going to call the real and foreseeable risks are in a situation? Krista? Um. Yeah, and also I think questioning your underlying motivations all the time. Like, are you really trying to keep your prevent your dad from losing his money in the lottery, or are you really trying to protect your inheritance or your yes. children's inheritance? Yeah. What I was after there was people very recently, not far from where we live, an elderly woman with probably Alzheimer's disease, we don't know for sure, wandered onto the highway and was killed. Um, The family were devastated because she had wandered before, and this time they didn't notice she was wandering. So in that sense, that if somebody is aging and there's any hint of something like Alzheimer's disease, then wandering, which we've talked about before, is actually a foreseeable risk. And I'm not talking legally, I'm talking in common sense. People wander. And yeah. that way, that way, for families to understand and be told, you know, your mom, your, your, your elderly father may wander, you should set up your house in such a way that you'll know if they're doing that, seems to me a kind of commonsensical approach. Uh, but there I am lecturing you, <laughs> you again. But I, I feel... I feel that's important too, and it fits actually into what you're saying. Now, my very it's last question. If I could just balance that with yes. also think about to the person, maybe this is leaning together question a bit as well, but think about who the person you're talking about, the person who might be the wanderer. Um, you know, when I talk to folks at the Alzheimer's Society BC, they say, yes, for sure, wandering is a very common a very common thing happening, a fairly predictable thing happening in terms of people with Alzheimer's as the dementia progresses. But that doesn't necessarily mean we can stop it from happening. And that doesn't necessarily mean we can always keep people safe. As tragic as it is when people get harmed, we can't put people in jail because they have 
an illness. <laughs> yeah, right. Like that, like right. it's, there's a trade-off in terms of quality of life, and you need to know that older person you're dealing with, too, and try to develop with a safety plan that's respectful of the kind of life they want to be living. Perfectly fair. Yeah, perfectly fair. Krista, last question, a bit different. What's your message for family caregivers concerned about an elderly member's ability to make important decisions? What's your message? Um, well, you know, you do generally have to inform yourself of the options and what this, what are the things you can do if you are concerned. And, you know, that may mean things like calling the public guardian trustee, looking at legal pamphlets about the options. You know, that's the legal piece. Um, but to get away from the legal stuff, um, I would say two things. I would emphasize listening and remembering. Um, even, I may have said this already, but even if a person lacks legal mental capacity and has, whether or not they have a guardian in place, they likely have some ability to communicate what they like, value, and want. And there are ways to honor those, value, those desires, even once legal rights are taken away. And to remember, so... People lose their ability to communicate as dementia progresses generally. And so even if the person can't communicate what they want, if you remember that person, you may be able to access information about what they valued and how they lived their life. And as their caregiver or family member, how can you support them to live a life that's consistent with those passions and dreams that you knew you know, were really important to them? To know them. In other words, to know them. Yeah, to know them. You know, people yeah. may lose yeah. rights, but you can still support them to have, have, you know, have a more meaningful or less meaningful life. Yeah, right on. Now, unfortunately, we've come to the end of this uh, great episode. Thank you, Krista. Thanks for being so open in the discussion, um, bringing to bear your experience and also your expertise and the work of your centre. So on behalf of all of us, because we'll all get a, become aged people, all I can say to you is all success in your work, every part of it, but particularly the part that relates to things like protection of the elderly and seniors. I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And I'd just like to mention that with Family Caregivers Unite, we're starting a new research project called Qualitative Research, where we want to find out what you, our listeners, think about important topics, such as the one we've just been listening to. So please email me if you're interested. Now, our next episode will be Spirituality in Caring for Mental Illnesses, Addictions, and High-Risk Behaviors. Please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being around. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.